Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, amen. Thank you, uh, worship team. Thank you for singing out, everybody, and worshiping your God. He's a great God and uh, worthy of all our praise. We've uh, been in the book of Daniel for four weeks now. We've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about ourselves, uh, what we should be doing. Uh, we learned a lot about God, His attributes, His character. We come to a topic today that uh, um, is rather uncomfortable. Come to a topic today that's challenging to hear, challenging to listen to. We've, we've learned about God's rule, His authority, His power. We've learned about God's faithfulness, His knowledge, His wisdom so far in the book of Daniel. We've learned uh, that He keeps His promises. We've learned a lot about God. Today we come to the topic that God is judge. He's the world's judge, humanity's judge, and He's our judge. We love to talk about His love. We love to talk about His kindness, His goodness, His grace, His mercy. We also have to talk about His judgment, a balanced revealing of God's truth. Please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. May God bless the reading of His Word. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the kings and his lords, his wives, his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And if you jump down to the end of the chapter, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. What we're not told by Daniel in this account is how important this is to world history. This account that is laid out before us, Daniel's interested in, in how Belshazzar treats God, but he doesn't tell us that this is a, a major point of transition from a Babylonian empire, the, the great empire of the ancient Near East that ruled for some 70 plus years in that region to the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians that reigned for over 200 years in the ancient Near East, most powerful kingdom on the earth during that time. What Daniel doesn't tell us, because he's interested in what happens to King Belshazzar, who blasphemes God, is that at that very time they're having a feast, the Persian army is at Babylon's gates. The Persian army has built up siege works. The Persian army has defeated again and again the generals of Babylon. They've taken over the, the, the country and now all that remains is Babylon itself. It seems strange uh, when you first look at it. Why are they having a feast? Why are they partying and getting drunk? Several theories come to us from commentators, uh, that uh, maybe this, this king, Belshazzar, 
Maybe, uh, maybe they're celebrating his kingdom because his father, in a battle with the Persians, was killed. We're not sure if that's the, the case or not. For several years, Belshazzar has been a regent in Babylon. His father, from, for some 17 years, has lived about 500 miles away uh, from the city. And, and, ba- and Belshazzar has been kind of the de, de facto lord and, and king. And now maybe they're celebrating his, his kingdom. We're, we're not sure. Uh, it's, it's probably more likely that they're celebrating, they're celebrating the fact that they think they're impenetrable. Belshazzar is putting on a feast with all his lords. He's called, called all his lords and the wives and concubines, and he's saying to them, there's no way that we're going to lose this. They can't get through our walls. It's, it's a party of confidence. It's a vote of confidence. Drink and be merry. We're going to be fine in the morning. They can't get through our walls. See, they, they, they have these massive walls that have been built up over decades, and there's no way anybody was breaching those walls. They had food stocked up for years. Some of you know what that's like, <laughs> stocking up food for a long time in quarantine. Stocking up food for years, and the Euphrates River ran right through the city under the walls. They had plenty of water. They had everything they needed, apparently. And so the king calls his people together, and they, they call their gods together, and they, they celebrate and rejoice that they're going to be safe. What Belshazzar doesn't realize is that for many, many decades, God, through his prophets, has made known that Babylon is coming to an end. If you read through the book of Isaiah, some 150 years before this, you, you would see, uh, perhaps longer than that, you'd see that Isaiah prophesied several times about the downfall of Babylon. And then Daniel himself, once we get to chapter 8, you're going to read about, we're going to read about how uh, God announced that the time of the Babylonians was in, ending at the hands of the Medes. Persians. So the handwriting is on the wall. They just don't know it yet. And yet the instigating factor, the catalyst, the the point of, of, of the end of an era, the end of a kingdom, the end of this man's life was when he decided to sacrilege God's holy items. And when he blasphemed God, he was judged. It wasn't pretty. Well, uh, we, we see it in verse 1. There's an interesting way of stating it. He made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. Apparently, the king didn't usually drink and get drunk in front of, of the lords of his nation, but here he is. And uh, verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, that's a euphemism for as the wine took effect, as he became inebriated, as he was overwhelmed by the effects of the drink, he made a decision. He commanded the vessels of gold and silver, the, the, the rich objects that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem, from the temple of Yahweh. Uh, you remember the story, right? Israel, for hundreds of years, had rebelled against God. The nation, the Jewish people, for hundreds of years, they had times of faithfulness, times of obedience, times of righteousness, but they could not give up their idolatry. They could not give up their spiritual adultery they're seeking that God and that God. They're lifting up that idol and that idol. And, and God is so long-suffering and so patient with His people. It lasted for so long. Prophet after prophet was sent to Jerusalem. Repent. Please turn around. Please stop your sin. And they wouldn't. And so God brought Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem and He destroyed it. He came in waves, but uh, in His destruction of not only the city but the temple... Every time he came with his armies, they took as much gold as they could back to Babylon. Not only people, as we saw in, in Daniel chapter 1, but, but all the riches of the nation. And some of the riches that he took back to his God's temple were these cups and vessels and bowls of gold and silver. Trophies. Basically, when, when, when a king takes the trophies of another Nations, gods, they're saying, look, our God is more powerful. Look, our God is in control. Our God beat your God. Our God went into your temple, Yahweh. He plundered your stuff. What they don't understand is God decreed it. God caused it to happen. 
in judgment of his people. But it was only going to last for a season, and uh, Babylon's pride started to stink to high heaven. And this is indi ind indicative of that. He says, hey, bring me, you know, now he's getting, he's getting high, he's getting kind of inebriated, and he's, he, you know, his heart comes out, and God sees his heart. Hey, bring me those vessels, bring me those cups, bring me those, those, those golden bowls. Let's, let's pour our wine into that. And basically what he's saying is, <clears throat> those people outside the gates that want to destroy us, their gods are, are, are no better than this God that's represented by these chalices and by these cups. Let's drink and let's, let's, let's celebrate our victory because certainly we're not going to be defeated. So they did, and, and the religious term for that is sacrilege. When you deface, when you misuse sacred items that belong to God, when you, you know, sometimes we talk about the misuse of our bodies as sacrifice, as sacrilege. You know, when you misuse our bodies that God has given us for, for His glory and His fame and, and for our, our pleasure and our joy, you know, that's a misuse of His holy things if we're in Christ. It, but here, uh, the sacrilege is such that it's, it's a mocking of God. It's a calling God out. It's, 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 telling, it's telling the God of all the universe, you're nothing. Do you think that's going to go well? Do you think that's going to turn out well when we sacrilege God? But it gets worse. They blaspheme God. Blasphemy is sacrilege spoken. Blaspheme, blasphemy is when you uh, say derogatory things about God, when you say terrible things about God, when you say untrue things about God. That's blasphemy. And so they, they are drinking, they're partying, they're celebrating, you know, hey, our God is greater, and, and, and so on and so forth. Oh, God of silver, man, you're better than this Yahweh. And it just, you can imagine as they, they devolved into this uh, sexual immorality that's part of these feasts, and it just was gross and terrible. And God steps into that ugliness and that wickedness and that, uh, that blasphemy, and he makes a statement. Verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His color changed, he probably got pale. He, he, uh, his thoughts alarmed him, you know, his mind's working overtime. Mine would too if I saw a hand like that. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Uh, that's a nice way of saying uh, the, the literal translation there is, the, is the, the knitting of his loins gave out. Basically that he had to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing, shows me its interpretation, shall be clothed with purple and a chain of gold around his neck and be third ruler of the kingdom. So that's where his father's the true king, he's the regent, and, and whoever's going to interpret this, he promises third place in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. And King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His color changed, again, apparently a whiter shade, and his lords were perplexed. And so, man, the... the <clears throat> the judgment of God comes, first of all, in an inscription. Uh, and it's a strange thing because it, the inscription on the wall, it, it came through a hand. Now, what we call this biblically, the big biblical doctrinal word, theological word, is the, a theophany, an appearance of God, a presentation of God, God coming in a form that we can see. God doesn't have a body. Uh, he's not this old man in the sky with a long beard just hanging out on the throne. He's spirit. But he shows himself... His presence is what the point is. It's symbolic of His presence, a hand that they could see, and it's writing on the wall. And it's not a vision because the writing stayed after the, the hand left. And uh, so the king's sitting there and freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. You know, you got a little alcohol in your system and you're really freaking out. Dude, what was that? I don't know if he said that or not. But. <laughs> But so he, he's just, you know, he turns pale. He just ah, he, he's he's his body's in trouble, and so he calls the wise men. And, and four chapters into Daniel, how do you think the wise men are going to do? Bad. Bad. Nyeh, nyeh, nyeh. 
They, they don't, they, they're not in tune with God. They're not followers of God. They're not listening to the, the God of the universe. They haven't sought His wisdom. They haven't sought His knowledge. They haven't sought His truth. They're, they're hopeless. They're clueless. They're not going to see what God wants to say here. Even though the, we'll see the wording is in Aramaic and, and they knew the words, but they, they, they couldn't get the interpretation. And so uh, and then, then what happens, verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, you know, they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. No one has the answers. The queen came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O, o king, live forever. Let not your thoughts, that, that, didn't, that little saying there, it's, it's not, it didn't work very long. O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or, the, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king. Now, uh, we have to say there that in, in biblical terminology, a lot of the ancient literature, they used father and son. It wasn't like the literal father. You could have people ten, ten, ten fathers back that would be called your father, and that person could be called a son. So somebody in your ancestry. We think that Nebuchadnezzar is his grandfather, but nevertheless... Uh, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. You know how embarrassing this is for, for everybody? Now, we don't know if this is Nebuchadnezzar's. She's the queen. Maybe she's the queen mother. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar's. Uh, wife is still alive, you know, his grand, grandmother, maybe it's his father's wife, we're not sure. Maybe he, but for, in a patriarchal society like this, <laughs> where, where the wise men are lifted up, they know everything, where the wise men have been trained for years and years, where the wise men and the king, they should know the answers. The queen comes in, <laughs> and, and she's like, and, and it's kind of a rebuke, and it's terribly embarrassing for the king. For her to speak in such a public way. But she has the answers and, and they don't. Or she has the way to the answer because what she's doing and announcing, your father, he knew something. He, she, she's basically saying, man, you've rejected what God has given you. He provided you Daniel long ago. He provided you this man to serve you. God in his grace, in his, in his mercy, he brought a prophet in your midst. He brought a teacher in your midst and you've spurned that. You've shoved him to the side. And so they're like, oh, yeah. Oh. You can imagine just, maybe his color changes again. Maybe he gets red because he's embarrassed. Oh, yeah. And, and why, in, in, in the passage, in the, in the book of Daniel, it's, it's a, many, one of many rebukes against the, 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 the leaders of the nation who ignore God. It's, it's like you had a, a God's gift in your presence and the queen has to come in and say, man, don't you remember? Don't you remember Daniel? The one you called Belshazzar? God gave him to you. And so it's indicative of their rebellion, their, their spurning of God, again, their pride. We don't need that Jew. We don't need that, that Jewish prophet. We've got it together. Um, and so it's a sad state of affairs. If you jump down to verse 17, uh, after the queen announces that, the king brings Daniel in, interviews him, etc., etc., and promises him all kinds of rewards. So in verse 17, Daniel responds. We don't know how long the king went on, but Daniel answered, verse 17, and said to the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. He doesn't want anything to do with worldly rewards at, at this point. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Okay, so Daniel's like, you know, the queen was right. <laughs> he, he's harping on him again. He's preaching at him again. Your, your, your Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your grandfather, he knew this truth. And you've been spurning it all along. Okay, verse 19. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from the kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. You remember this, Belshazzar? You were a kid in the palace during this time. You were running around. You, you saw that it happened. 
you saw your, your grandfather, how proud he was and how arrogant he was, and then how he lost it all. Verse 21, he was driven from among the, the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was like wild with the wild donkeys. He fed, was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew the Most High rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. We saw that three times in chapter 4, that same phrase. The Most High rules the kingdom of mankind and he sets it over whom he will. See, Belshazzar knew this. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is in your breath, <laughs> in whose hand is your breath, in whose are all your ways you have not honored. <clears throat> do you see what he's, he's, he's preaching there? See his message? You saw how God humbled your grandfather. And when your grandfather humbled himself before the Lord, when he bowed the knee to the king of the world, how God raised him back up. How God lifted him back up to the position that he wanted to give him. You, O Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself. You knew all that, and yet you treated God with contempt. You treated God as a joke. You treated God as a worthless thing. And that's why the inscription has come. God is speaking to you right now with the writing on the wall. And so I bet he turned paler then. His color turned. And okay, bring it. Tell me, tell me what it's about. We, we, we should pause there and we should ask the question, <clears throat> what, what is our, our uh, walk with God like today? We should probably pause there and we should ask the question, if God put me on the scale right now, is God far from my life? Is God inconsequential to my daily existence? Do I treat God like a joke? Do I treat God's commandments as if they're nothing? Do I trample on the holy things of God? Do I live like I'm in charge of the world, that the world revolves around me? Or does God rule? Does God reign? We should probably pause when we read something like this, a warning from the Scriptures. And we should ask, have I <clears throat> treated God with contempt? Am I living in such a way now in my words and my actions that if God were to weigh me right now, He would find me seriously lacking? Or am I living in obedience to God right now? Am I seeking God? Am I serving God? Am I... In my words, am I speaking truth? In my actions, am I doing what He wants me to do? Loving people and serving people as Jesus would. The, the, these scriptures aren't written just for our entertainment. They're written to call us to evaluate ourselves. God's standards, am I, is it, if they're up here, am I way down here? Am I living like a dog right now? Am I living like a worldly person right now? Am I living like uh, somebody who doesn't know God? Or am I pursuing God and Seeking His face? Am I seeking to honor Him and glorify Him with my very life? Daniel calls out Belshazzar. Verse 24, he gives the interpretation. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. The, the way the ASV translates is kind of awkward, but nevertheless, he's saying, okay, here's the inscription. This is the writing that was inscribed, Mina, Mina, Tekel, Parson. Mina Mina Tekel Parson. Okay, maybe some of you should write a song about that. Mina Mina Tekel Parson. No, I, I'm sorry. This is the interpretation of the, of the matter. Mina, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. <clears throat> the Persians are right outside his gate. Your kingdom is given to them. So, uh, Mina, numbered, Mina, numbered, Tekel, weighed, Perez, divided, numbered, numbered, weighed and divided are you, O King Belshazzar. See, they, just the words were there, and they knew Aramaic, but they, they didn't know how to put them together, but the revelation that God gives Daniel, he says, uh, man, you're at an end. 
God has, has numbered your days. He's, he's weighed you in the scales. In, in your arrogance, your pride means your kingdom is going to be divided. It's going to be parceled out. There's nothing going to be left. God's judgment has come upon you, O King Belshazzar. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck. The proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. <clears throat> he's just heard of his doom, and he's like, well, go, go ahead and give him the reward. You know, he's just maybe not thinking clearly, or maybe he's still in his arrogance. Maybe he's still in his pride. Maybe he's still thinking, ah, oh, this guy is just talking smoke. Maybe he's just drunk. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And so we come to this, this topic. Again, these, these, these scriptures, uh, be, below them and behind them and beside them and above them, you know, God is speaking to us. God is revealing things. All, all scripture is written for our, our instruction, our teaching, our correcting, our rebuking, training in righteousness. These are gifts to us. And so what we see in these scriptures is that God is a judge. That, that uh, yeah, God, God loves you and God is kind and God is good, but He's also a judge and He also has wrath. God's wrath is against sin. His resolute, determined anger against sin. It comes out in His judgment against sinners. And so we, we read this and, and we should take it seriously. We should think about it. What kind of a God do we have? We have a God who made the heavens and the earth. And there's a lot of people around that, that, right, these days where they never think of God's judgment. They never think that God would ever do anything bad to them. They, they, they never think that uh, one day God would hold them accountable for the things they've done, whether words or deeds. They, they think that, that there's no accountability. I can live however I want and nothing bad's going to happen. And then there's other people. Maybe, maybe someone like this is in this room right now where you're a Christian and... and um, Man, you, 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 you can't stop talking about the grace of God. can't stop talking about the, the goodness of God, His friendship, His love. You sing songs about His love. But when it comes to thinking about His judgment, you're like, oh, is that really in the Bible? I'm, I don't think God is, our God is a judge. I don't, I don't think our God is a God that punishes sin. I, I, just, don't, I just don't get it. And yet we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament a major theme that comes up again and again and again. We saw it in the garden when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. We see it at the end of the book in Revelation when God judges the earth, judges the world. From beginning to end of the Bible, this is a reality. It's a truth that God judges sin. He can't help but judge sin because He's holy. His, holy, his holiness has to cast out all sin, has to destroy all sin, has to remove all sin from His presence. That's who He is. He's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. <clears throat> but he, He's a God who, who sees the world. He made the world. And He doesn't come up with some like a, a cultural stance of what's right and wrong. He doesn't come up with changing societal stances of what's right and wrong. He decides what's right and wrong. He decides uh, what, what, uh, what people are, if they're hitting the standard or they're below the standard. He's the one who says they're, they're hitting the mark or they've fallen far from the mark. He's the one who says this is right and that's wrong. He's the one who says you've missed it or you've hit it. He's the, he's the one who makes up the rules. He has all the authority. Not only does he have all the authority, he has all the power to judge. No one tells him no. No one tells him yes. He is the one who's in charge. He's the authoritative, all-powerful judge. But I tell you what, the Scriptures tell us that His judgment is always fair. He never misjudges anything. He gives everything, everything right. Everything He does is fair and just and perfect and righteous and holy. <clears throat> he never makes mistakes in His judgment because He's perfect in His holiness. Uh, I suppose some people look at this and say, oh, this is a, a one-time thing. This is an aberration. It's, it's not the norm. You know, it's Old Testament. What about the New Testament? New Testament, man, that God, God is just love and God is just grace and He's giving me high fives all the time in the New Testament, right? Well, we, we turn to the New Testament and we, we see some scriptures that are a um, little, little bit challenging to us. Uh, chapter 12 of the book of Acts, please. Turn there. Chapter 12, verse 20. 
And uh, this is, uh, you know, middle-aged boys' favorite scripture, maybe, because it's graphic, and uh, at least it gets them thinking and gets them visualizing things. The imagery here is, is intense. But Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now Herod, uh, this isn't Herod uh, the, the Great, it's, it's uh, Anesha, I think, or uh, yeah, Agrippa, I think it is. Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. So they're desperate, they're asking for the king's favor, etc., etc. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Oh, high, holy Herod. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God, not a man. The voice of a God, not a man. <clears throat> Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Is that in the Bible? Mercy. In other words, he's accepting the worship of people. He's accepting the praise of people. Oh, I am a God. You know, lightning bolt time. Uh, and he's struck down and he's eaten by worms. Now, again, is this an aberration? Uh, yeah, in a sense, it is. Uh, but, you know, unbelievers, he's, he's getting killed. But you might sit back and say, well, God doesn't judge believers. You know, there, there's no judgment against believers anymore. There's no wrath of God against believers anymore. It just doesn't happen. Then you turn back to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, please. And we realize that God's judgment can come against believers for their sin at any time as well. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. With his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, he didn't have to bring anything to the apostles. He, he could have brought part of it, but what he did, his sin is, he, he sold a piece of property and he said, I'm bringing all the money to you, when he kept part of it back himself. So he's lying about the amount. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him on out and buried him. God killed him for his lying. And after that, he kills his wife. Sapphira. It's not a pretty picture when sin gets, gets in the way because God in His holiness judges sin. Now, does God act this way every time we sin? Of course not. We're all here. You're still upright. I'm still upright. How many times have I rebelled against God? How many times have I, have I gone my own way? How many times have I known God's commandment and still chose to walk in sin? I can't tell you how many times. And God hasn't killed me yet. He hasn't killed you yet. These are rare occasions. But again, they're written for our warning and our instruction. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read about how people uh, had contempt during the taking of the Lord's Supper. Where they treated the Lord's Supper as an unholy thing and how God made some of them sick and killed some of them, too, in Corinth. You know, uh, treating God with a contempt is not a, a good thing to do. Treating God as unholy or unimportant or, or as nothing trivial is, is not a good thing. But most of God's judgments come in other ways. Uh, I don't have time to really go into it, but Galatians chapter 6, if you read that, uh, God in His providence has set up a world where you and I reap what we sow. Oftentimes we, we, you know, by the grace of God, sometimes we don't get what we sow, but oftentimes we do. We, we, we sow sin and sometimes trouble comes back to us. You know, you, you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind sometimes. Uh, God brings His judgment through natural consequences or, or consequences. Man, you lie at work and the boss finds out, there's consequences. You, you cheat on your wife and she finds out, there's consequences. You reap what you sow in this world, oftentimes. Sometimes, sometimes your sins follow you right away. Sometimes they fall at a later time. But typically, sins find you out. 
God set up a world that way. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't find you out, you know, and, and that's in God's providence. He knows, he knows the story. He knows the game. He sees all things. He understands all things. And by his grace, sometimes we sin and we aren't judged for it. Uh, boy, sometimes uh, talking about unbelievers, though, uh, God, God's, God's serious when it comes to sin. And sometimes uh, when it comes to non-Christians, uh, God is, is very serious about how he treats sins. If you look at Romans with me, uh, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And, and uh, I won't go through this whole passage, of course, but let me just give you a summary of it. Um, verse 18, chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18. For the wrath of God, again, God's wrath is His holy, righteous anger against sin, His resolve against sin. He never, he never sins in his, in his anger. His anger is always a righteous anger, a just anger, a proportional anger, but it's called wrath. There is such a thing as the wrath of God. It's being revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And it goes on from there. For, you know, God has created this world, right? That God has created this world where, where uh, people see the creation. They see the stars. They see the, the moon. And, and they, they're, they're supposed to understand by that that there is a God. And yet people don't, um, don't bow the knee to the God who gives kingdoms to humanity. They, they don't bow the knee to His authority. But, so it goes on from there. And... and um, God's wrath is being revealed. Now, how is it being revealed? Let, let me just summarize it. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. One way that God's wrath is being poured out. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations, for those that are contrary to nature. Uh, verse 28, the third time he says it, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, that's the sin of Nebuchadnezzar, right? First, they didn't acknowledge God. That's the sin of Belshazzar. He's not acknowledging God. He's not saying, God, you rule. He's not bending the knee to God. Since the world, the fallen world, does not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's a scary passage. Think about that. Uh, people that want to pursue their sin. They want to live in their sin. They want to embrace their sin. One pastor I read many, many years ago, he said, it's like, it's like people get in this canoe on this lake and, and God comes to them and, and he says, man, there's alligators in the lake. There's piranhas in the lake. There's a volcano that's coming in the lake. You're going to capsize. You're going to die. And the people said, no, we, we want to go across the lake in our canoe. We're going to stay in the canoe. We're going to stay there. You can't tell us what to do. God says, please, please. Don't go in that canoe. Don't go across that lake. And they say, no, we're going to do what we want. You can't stop us. And God says, really? I'm giving you a warning here. I want you to live. I don't want you to die. Please repent. Come out of the canoe. Don't, don't live that way. And, and they say, no, we'll do what we want because we're our own gods. And the pastor said, the illustration he used, well, at that point, God gives them over sin. And it's like God in this passage to sinners who refuse to repent. After a while, their heart becomes hard. Cal they become calloused. And God comes to the canoe and He pushes it out into the lake Himself. Giving them what they want. Giving them what they desire. And doesn't that break your heart to think about the sinners you know who refuse to come to God who continue to live in their sin and they're like, you can't tell me there is no God. I'm going to do what I want. This is right. And God has given them over. The wrath of God is being revealed in our presence today. You don't have to look very far in our culture to see how the wrath of God is playing out in people's lives. They're embracing their sins. And once they get hardened in their sins and entrenched in their sin, what comes when they die? They'll have to face God's end time wrath. God's final judgment They'll be cast away from the Lord forever because of their wickedness. Man, if you know somebody that's getting entrenched in their sin, please pray for them that they won't go that way. Our God is, is but that's unbelievers. What about believers? Does God, you know, now that we've come to Jesus, now that we've put our life in Jesus' hand, 
Does God, some, some people's connotation of God is this old guy in the sky with a long white beard, and he's like a grandpa, and he says, oh, come here, honey. I know you just robbed a bank, but I just want you to be happy. I, I, you just stole from that. You just embezzled from your employer, and man, I love you. Just give me a big hug. Is that what treats Christians? That they, they, they can do whatever they want and just run down any path they want and pursue any now that they're in Christ? Absolutely not. The scriptures warn us again and against, again against such wickedness and evil. And the most powerful uh, warning that I, that I can think of, um, it, it's also in, in, uh, it's in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. The setting of this, this context, the setting of this is that uh, Israel has been, you know, by unbelief, they, 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 they've been pulled away. He uses an analogy of a tree and a branch. And the Gentiles come in, and the Gentiles are so proud. Look at us, we're, we're saved, God loves us. But listen what he says to the Christians. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, a symbol of uh, Judaism, a symbol of God's people, the olive tree. Do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, uh, if you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Like, branches were broken off that I might be granted in. I must be awesome. I must be incredible. I'm, I'm a Christian. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. And you stop there and you think, some of the Christians that you know, how they are committing, you know, they're cheating on their spouse. Some of the Christians you know, they are going out and partying and living like the world, and then pretending on Sunday morning that they're righteous and holy. Some of the Christians you know, they do lie, and they do cheat, and they do steal. And they say, well, I'm in Christ, I'm under grace now. And God says, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. You don't play God. You don't joke around with God. You don't mess with God and pretend that His power isn't real. His power isn't it. You don't, you don't think, you don't, you don't treat God with contempt. Like Ananias and Sapphira did. Like King Herod did. Like Belshazzar did. Because the judgment of God might come knocking on your door. We as Christians... God has saved us. He's given us His grace. He's forgiven us. The price He paid on the cross, that beautiful sacrifice, we're to respond to that amazing grace and that amazing love with a love of our own. The life of sacrifice, a life of giving, a life of serving, a life of glorifying, a life of honoring God. That's our calling. We do not treat God with contempt. And so God comes in various ways. We reap what we sow. But God, God also disciplines Christians. I, I, I can't, I skipped this uh, previously, but uh, Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter uh, 12 rather, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. We, we remember that our God, He treats us like a father with, with a child, with His daughter, with His son. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. We, if we live in our sin, if we walk in our sin, and we're not repentant, if, if we're, we're not seeking the Lord's face, if we're living willy-nilly, like living in the freedom of our salvation, as if it's nothing, God does bring discipline upon those he loves. God will discipline His children. God will discipline those whom He has saved. God will sometimes chastise His people, and sometimes it hurts. Because He's trying to pull us back from sin. He's trying to keep us from our wickedness. He's trying to keep us from the consequences of our, our sins. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to be a people of joy. And so he disciplines. And, I, and the ways that God is a judge, I, I, can't, I can't let go of, of the big picture, the end times judgments. And even in Daniel, uh, Daniel speaks of it. 
If you look at Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, the peoples of the earth, what happens at the end? Um, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Or you can look in, in Romans about this end times judgment where everybody will be treated fairly. Everybody will, will receive the retribution they deserve. Everyone will be given judgment for their actions and activities. Romans chapter 2 verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there will be wrath and fury. These passages are unavoidable that our God is a judge, that he does watch us, he sees everything we do, and he will hold us accountable. Let me speak to you believers first. If this is like, what? Oh, uh, Ouch! God is a judge. Yes, He is. Now, Christians, because you are in Christ, your sins have already been judged. Jesus took your sins upon Him on the cross. He paid the price already. Okay? Your sins are as far as from the east as from the west. You've been forgiven. You're justified in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Okay? But that doesn't mean God won't hold you accountable for what, how you've lived since you become a Christian. You will suffer reward or loss when you stand before Jesus, the great Bema Seat of Christ. You can read about that in John chapter 5. Unbelievers, unbelievers here, if you're not a Christian here, realize that you're a dead woman walking right now. You're a dead man walking if you're not in Christ. If you're not in Jesus Christ, if Jesus isn't your God, if you haven't come under the blood of the Lamb, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have no hope. You will, on a day of judgment, be cast away from God forever and ever. You'll be cast out of any hope of heaven. You'll never meet God. You'll never be in His presence. You will be judged. And, and the judgment is this. You're condemned for your sins. And the judgment is that you will be <laughs> cast in the outer darkness. There's a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And if you're an unbeliever here, if you're not a Christian here, if you're not someone who's trusted in Jesus yet, if you haven't put your trust in the Lord, you are going to meet the judge. And if you know right now that you're not a righteous person, that you're not righteous as God is righteous, there's only one thing you can do to save yourself. Turn to the judge and call upon Him as your Savior. Turn to the judge who is Jesus and put your trust in Him as your Savior. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You trust in Jesus. You believe in Him. You will be saved. His righteousness will become your righteousness. Right standing with God. Right relationship with God. Your sins, when you trust in Him, will be placed on Jesus' account, He will pay it all. You will be forgiven and set free. Do not stay in judgment. Come to salvation, even the day before it's too late. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a great day. We celebrate, we rejoice God's work of salvation. We remember that by His stripes we are healed. By His wounds we are, we are made whole. So we can rejoice even in the face of judgment. Our calling as Christians, our calling as believers, through these warnings, through these teachings, through the truth that God has judged, is to live for Jesus now. To seek His face. To speak words of truth. To live words of actions of life to be His people of worship and praise. His grace is astounding. But let's walk in Jesus' way. Let's decide. Let's look at ourselves. Maybe it's time for you maybe to put yourself in the scale. Maybe it's time for you to put yourself 
and look at yourself from God's perspective. Am I living as a Christian? Or am I a poser, a faker, a pretender? Am I living for Jesus Christ? Am I obeying God, living by His commandments? Or am I not? And if you look at yourself and you see that God's standard is here and you're living here, the call is to repent. The call is to change your life around and start going with God. The power of the Holy Spirit will be there with you. God's presence will be there with you. And you can walk with God in grace and faith. Please, the meal's on. Please stand. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your revelation. We thank you that all sins will be accounted for, that there will be a day of judgment and nobody will get away with nothing. Lord God, we thank you, though, that uh, as sinners who have sinned against you constantly and repeatedly, that in you we are forgiven. That in you we've been declared righteous in right relationship with you. Oh, Lord, we, what can we say but praise God. Thank you for what you've done, Jesus. Thank you for the future that we have with you. Lord, give us the power and the grace, the desire, the heart to follow you with all of our life now. Lord, we know we can't earn anything, we can't make anything, but Lord, let us live our lives in love in response to your great love. And may you be worshipped and praised and glorified by your people who are so grateful. Lord, send us out in the world. Send us out as your, your, your ambassadors, your preachers, your servants, your glorifiers. And uh, yeah, thank you, Lord, for meeting us here today. Bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. There is a meal behind this wall in the fellowship hall. The kids are out there to greet you and welcome you and escort you if you like. <laughs> God bless. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.